usually I normally pre-record. Do it. So this is very new for me. Facebook Live is very new for me. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? I am hearing you. I am hearing you very well, actually. I'm trying to make sure I am set here. Give myself a bit more light. And I apologize. I'm using my phone for this. Yeah, I had to do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Let's. All right. <laughs> okay, so I, I, think, I think I really want to give my Facebook people a bit of background because I'm usually on Instagram and YouTube and I would normally just share it to Facebook. Yeah. So Gentle Perspective is a show that I curated because I really wanted to get youths involved as it relates to the politics and the policies and governance of our country. I feel like there's a huge disconnect between the old guards and us, you know, the 20-odd-year-olds, even the 30-odd-year-olds. So I really wanted to be on the forefront whereby I'm actually using my voice for something of substance and of value because, I mean, idiot ridiculous. <laughs> That's an understatement. So, this episode is my yeah. first live episode, right? And we will be discussing the manifestos. So apart from the University of the West Indies homework, I've had to go through the manifestos on my own, a very tedious task, and try to make sense of it and also to form my own opinions and even alternative thoughts. And the first person that come to my mind when I made a good list is you, of course, and this has been long overdue because we've been listed that we need, we really need to, you know, link up and have this discussion on a platform because we've been to have it anyways. Yeah, true, true. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. um, I would like to thank you so much. And for those of you who don't know, this is Dominique Norales, the eloquent, the infamous, <laughs> infamous. I don't. I don't like infamous. <laughs> okay, fine. Okay, maybe by the end of the session, we can put a different term for you. Yes. But yes. um, for those of you who don't know, Dom is currently in Barbados, um, pursuing her undergrad degree. I guess she could get into that because I don't want to call the wrong title, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. Thank you so much for carving out your time, especially since, you know, on a day, two hours ahead of us. And yeah, yeah. And, and we, we, we kind of day in the middle of, well, my midterms are almost finished. So, um, but yeah, we're there two hours ahead. Yeah. Hi to the followers of The Gentle Perspective. My name is Dominic Norales. Like Ranisha said, I am a student at the University of the West Indies, the KFL campus here in Barbados. I am studying sociology. Um, and I just have a, a fervent, you know, love for politics and policy, um, especially adding the youth development and gender lenses. So uh, we thought we'd just link up and have this conversation, no? Yeah. All right. So we're going to try to split it up a bit. So whenever yeah. I get to uh, I don't know how that going, but we have to it out as we go along. So mm -hmm. honestly... It has been very overwhelming as a young person. And I don't know if that because of COVID and then all the, the weather systems and just 2020 in a whole just giving us ill after ill. But I am of the belief that currently we are in a transitioning period. And I'm not saying this to allude to allude that okay, maybe another party may come into power, which is a possibility, but merely for the fact that I feel like more young people are becoming cognizant and aware of the doings of our country and being able to call on it and say, look, this don't make any sense. What do they do? Yeah. And that has been long overdue. So I really... I really feel the need for more of us to speak up and start to create a dialogue. So, like I mentioned, we will be discussing the manifestos 
Hold on, I feel like I'm a bit too low. One second. Yeah, we'll be discussing the manifestos of the political parties vying for office come November eleventh. And you which one you want to start first with? Um, it it doesn't it doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. It's whatever we're most comfortable with. I, I just want to like sort of lay the background, you know. Mm -hmm. um, a friend of mine, let me just see if I could come off of this to, oh no, I can't do that. Okay, so I can't come off the broadcast, but I wanted to kind of preface our discussion with with the thoughts of one of my friends um, and one of the people who I follow on Twitter, um, a young oh. Belizean, Trina, Trina Palacio, and what she said was that, you know, in essence, because I'm paraphrasing here, because I can't go to see the document or to see the screenshot. Today? Yes, the post uh. that today. A lot of conversations are being had by political pundits um, who've who's, who have never stepped into these communities that they speak so fondly of, who have had um, all the access to power and to land, um, and that, you know, she was being sarcastic in saying that she feels seen, you know? Yeah, um, but really, really, it was a sarcastic statement to say that you know you're talking about all these things, but yet you still have never made the effort to look at, uh -huh. um, or to step in in the shoes as best as you can, um, to the people or who you speak so like you're you have that I call it a Jesus complex. So you call and try to be the savior, um, of people. So I just wanted to kind of preface the conversation with that as we jump into our first manifesto i think we should just do the incumbent first the incumbent party sure by all, all right. means okay so when i was looking at the manifestos um it's i don't know if this is the purpose of it because most times it's a bit vague i know they're short for time and it's just mainly to give an idea of what they can do if elected but i feel like it is always too broad and vague so we're not being able to hold them accountable for it if it doesn't happen so it's always an open-ended statement or paragraph so when it's all said and done they could say oh well we never sell me and do this, we sell me and do this. And we did it in yeah. that way, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just to save themselves, right? So, mm -hmm. youth and sports was what I focused on as it related to the United Democratic Party manifesto. And um, yeah. quite frankly, I've never liked these two entities being placed together. There should not be a minister or a ministry of youth and sports. These are two powerful entities that need their own attention and respect and budget. And I've found that most times when a manifesto is created, they just join it together as one. Our Bella yeah. Sporting Complex that they serve for youth and for sports. Go ahead. Yeah. And yeah. also, I feel that it gives off the impression that that is the only way young people can achieve something and be of another caliber within the society if they are proficient or I should say inclined in a particular sport. So I feel like that is a huge drawback when mm -hmm. it comes to the entire structure of that particular ministry. So our John Prytean, um, I noticed that the UDP, okay, so the UDP is proposing that they will develop a broad public service youth advisory, and that is intended to have representation from all government departments. Now, the first thing that came to mind while watching this is what exactly happened to the National Youth Council? Precisely. And how will that be relevant in this term if they are elected? So that whole gap and that confusion, I feel like they're just a scrap national youth council altogether and they come with a mm -hmm. new initiative. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. just go back a bit yeah. and explain to us what happened, you know? I think for for just the, when I, 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 I too focused on youth economics, I, foc I on all manifestos that I looked at, 
um, and re-looked at. I looked at, you know, the economy, the health, because that's very important, especially given the pandemic, but yeah. also the women's um, youth uh, agendas that they put forth and, and land as well. When I read the part about the UDP, the United Democratic Party's manifesto, uh, and we have to say the acronym because we know we have other people um, who probably aren't religions who don't know what that means. It says to harness the talents and ideas of young persons and to ensure a succession, a succession plan sorry, uh, for the leadership of our nation. The UDP government commits to the appointment of minimum 30% young persons to boards and statutory bodies. And I immediately, like you, thought about a National Council of which I was a part. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's looking at, you know, just the incumbent parties manifesto, it's hard to um, to not think, oh, but you, like, and, and like many other people that I've spoken to, it's hard to think, oh, but you never had like 12 years to do this kind of thing, you know? Exactly. Um, it's hard not to think about that. But when you, when you look at, you know, just the... It seems like a, a rewording of ideas, and I would really love to see the National Youth Council um, not only organically come from young people, but also be, be given the support yeah. uh, that it needs to succeed, no? Because it, there's, there's so much that young people have to offer, and not just becoming um, athletes, because all the way down are not athletes. Um, right. Point, all the way down right. are not athletes, right? Uh, <laughs> but you know it's 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 funny and i just want to just as i close this point here jump to the the old manifesto or the manifesto from the previous term which was 2015 yes. to 2020 yeah. mm -hmm. and that was that was called the best is yet to come yeah. it was a, mm -hmm. like a 30 30 ad page document and yeah. they spoke up and and most most manifestos and not only that of the united democratic party but also that of the other major political party they speak a lot about youth um in terms of just that sport development thing sport development is wildly important my brother my baby brother is an athlete yeah um, and i understand what the the sporting disciplines does for young people but yeah you sport development and youth development are two different things and they are consistently putting it together as one. Yeah, because they don't understand what youth development is. There's um there's a huge knowledge gap in terms of what politicians understand youth development to look like and to sound like and what kind of political will and funding it needs to succeed. It, yeah. it hasn't been there. And so when I look at this, I think, you know, and the, the policy paper for the UDP was only two pages long for youth development. Uh, one page, right? So, so I, as 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 is that of the BUP, but I think you know that just looking at what is youth development, how can you mainstream youth development? The Department of Youth Services has um, invested in you know the we're the Commonwealth pilot country for youth mainstreaming in development planning. How are you going to make sure that carries on? Yeah. Um, so these are the things we have to be able to just interrogate. I don't. I don't. I don't appreciate this coming like like this. The uh, you know Columbus idea because we know we know the value of young people because we know we the campaign today. Mm -hmm. We know it. So all of a sudden you come as if it's just it's a new idea, you know. And I it's 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 kind of um, disheartening. <clears throat> and Tad, I mean immensely in my opinion but i like that you touched on their aspect whereby they mentioned 30 percent of young persons being on the boards of statutory bodies because i made mention of that as well within my notes while i was going through it so the first thing well another thing that came to mind was the quota system coming into play so effortlessly because now yes you are carving out a niche for 30 percent of young people to be on these statutory bodies but i want to know the effectiveness mm -hmm. how well will you accommodate youths to ensure that they are not just a placeholder or not just a nuisance within this capacity because yeah. i don't want when an inaugural building is you know being done that young person is standing prim and properly in their uniform 
for a photograph, but when the main when the main meat of the matter is coming into play and people are discussing policy issues that will affect that very same individual, that young person is not in the room. Moreover, not just that, but we now take a look at the bias that can occur by this because now this may be a frenzy whereby so much money out our budget will get scraped out supposedly for a youth statutory body meanwhile it is being misused mismanaged misappropriated mm -hmm. the media finds out about it the public finds out about it and nothing gets done or oh. this now becomes another coveted position where only those with privilege and entitlement and who is a close affiliate of a minister or a political entity can have the advantage of being a part of and you are forgetting the marginalized youth or i don't even want to use the term marginalized because i think and we we raised this discussion in our voices chat whereby they mm -hmm. feel that marginalized or unrepresented means unarticulate and not being able to form a decent thought and being able to expound upon that eloquently yeah so any young person in general so that's my fear about that whole 30 percent quota being implemented into the statutory bodies i think um i think it of course can be a good thing if if done properly as most things right yeah. um i think it can be a great thing but again it comes with just the mentality because you got like you brought up just now you have those people who think you know um well why young people they are and i'll never forget one of my first engagements with a, a huge national body which was the implementation committee for the UNCA, you know the united nations convention against corruption that we signed on to in 2015 or 2016 that i am not sure is implemented as yet i i would put that put my name <laughs> out there to say that it's not um, but the first meeting I went, I remember a CEO, and I know they call the CEO name because we know we know we know like stir the pot, but we tell the truth. Um, the first thing that was said to me is that, or, or not even to me, I was in the room, but the person just said, "Well, why this young person there?" Like as if I was not in the room, and you know I couldn't at that age. Maybe I didn't have the confidence at the time. Maybe, in but I was just so shocked at it. Because they don't like me as for Ghana, you know. Uh -huh. So, but the 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 leader of the of the UN body that you know was leading that initiative invited the National Youth Council there. So that just the mentality of people, the political will, the funds. Because it takes much for me, a young person, we're probably in a um or in a university or anything for God that they are meetings with a bit pan. you have to you have to figure out how you get there. All of the things, yeah. Um, that just I just. A comprehensive look at the struggles of what young people have to 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 go through to be involved and even more than that to be listened to and to be valued in the space because you don't want to be a curtain you know you don't want to be a table part you want to be able to valuably contribute to the conversation without being pushed right. aside okay we don't have a lead young person already so we don't fill that quota we don't take up that line item and that's exactly. what happens a lot and when that doesn't happen it's because um that somebody were affiliated with um, somebody in rank. So these are the things that we have to tackle when it comes to youth development and youth mainstreaming as a as a pillar of, of national development. Because people think we'd be we the we the when we say that young people that were a huge part of the disease population, when we say that that young people's tax and young people's productivity will carry this nation through to the next 20, 30 years. That's not a joke. You know, Dom, we all know and we know that these political parties know because as far as I can recall, and maybe this isn't the case because this may be, this is my second time going to vote. And this is the first time I have been this well-rounded and articulate and being able to identify the inequality and in the inadequacies within the system. But I can attest that this year, many of the political ads and promotions 
are being done by who? Young people. So we know that they know that they need us, but yeah. they are not. And when I say they, I mean the United Democratic Party, the People's United Party, because both of them, they have been in this for decades. So they know all the ins and outs and all the strategies and all the cons to try to manipulate us subliminally. So yeah. they know that this year is very paramount because you have such a large number of young people voting for the very first time or maybe yeah. for the second or third time who probably didn't know what they were doing the first time around and finally mm -hmm. being able to recognize the flaws and the injustices within the system. Yeah. My thing is, if you know we are so important and valuable why are you throwing something so casually in a manifesto and not following through with it? Yeah, uh, that I mean, and I, I want to shift over to um, when I looked at the BPP's manifesto because I, I don't want us to think that this is only a major political party conversation. Um, although the BPP hasn't put up a full 31 um, candidates, I th still think it's important to touch on them. And I want to shift over now to the People's United Party. So in 2015, their manifesto's name was Power to the People. Uh -huh. um, and their youth agenda looked much like that sport thing we speak about, right? The support our youth to excel in sports, upgrade all indoor and outdoor sporting facilities. There <laughs> so, and then we look at their 2020 manifesto. I think their manifesto, which is called Plan Belize, I believe that works for everyone. Uh -huh. um, when you look at the, the youth sector, the, the language of the manifesto, I think, is very impressive, very progressive. Um, and I don't want to reduce the conversation to semantics and marketing, but I think the, the language itself, you, you, you hear the difference. Um, when they speak about youth in this manifesto for this year, 2020, and the PUP is, a, is very interesting in that they launched these policy documents leading up to the launch of their manifesto. Yeah. The UDP um, launched a manifesto, but they didn't launch policy papers. They broke down their manifesto um, in the same way, right? Mm -hmm. So PUP says they'll increase the budget from $4 million to $12 million for projects with social impact. Their design programs to expose you to new creative technological skills, fully implement a national youth the youth, national youth development policy. Stuff like that is what they talk about. And you yeah. see the shift or the growth in mindset from that 2015 to 2020, which spoke, we spoke about sports and developing and finishing yeah. Marion Jones. So this progressive thought about um, you know increasing the budget, make sure young people are at all levels of governance. So these things, um, and it's it's not... It's not as as strong as I'd like it to be, maybe because I work in youth development, so I understand um, uh -huh. what it takes. But I think it's a it's a marked move from that 2015 <laughs> that 2015 tokenism to 2020 inclusion. Right. So I have to I have to get any props to that. Definitely, and I was just going to expound more about the United Democratic Party. United Democratic Party's 2015 manifesto. Um, mm -hmm. Another strife that I'm, I'm having with these documents is that back in 2015, um, the UDP made mention of implementing phase two of the CAPS project, right? Mm -hmm. So this would essentially serve the at-risk youths and provide rehabilitation entities and programs for them. And I'm not sure if you, you if you pick this up, but I'm mm -hmm. seeing a trend here with the youths and the way how the political parties deal with them, whereby it's more of a reactive approach than a proactive approach. So mm -hmm. you have now where these parties are coming up with initiatives and giving attention to rehabilitation and assimilation into the workforce after being incarcerated and all of that good stuff. Yeah. But that is only after children yeah. are going out to commit murders, 
on behalf of the older gang members and its children who are being incarcerated. So why not try to implement strategies and policies to nip this in the bud and to prevent this as opposed yes. to doing it in the reverse? Yeah. One, I, I'm, I'm not an economist, but I would have one thing <laughs> the latter cost a whole lot more. Yeah, it does. It does. So, um, and it's a perennial issue, right? And it's, it's not, it's not unique to Belize. We're not, it's not unique to Belize, yeah. but it is very much, very much practice in Belize because one, we're a very punitive society. Two, um, we rather fix people than, than make sure they, they not get broken from the start, Agreed. which we not do a good job at fixing people at all. Because we know we don't we don't have, we don't have enough of anything to to make sure that the fixing is done well, uh -huh. um, right? So that one thing. Secondly, when you look at the budgets, I think when I was doing my certification in in youth development from the Open Campus, one of the things that Kate, that I wrote a paper on was how much money we invest in the prisons as opposed to youth development. Um, and the difference was so huge. So we invest more money in, in the prison system. Um, and then we invest little money in, uh, you know, the play, play youth development over the try do. Um, and then two, when you look at just the way in which we operate men, like we rather punish people before we help them not get to a, a, a space where we have to punish them. That's just how we've been operating always um and in always it's just this this thing of the i call it like i said i call it jesus complex so we have to use saving people for political clout um and it hasn't done us any any good at all and, and it has cost us lives literally um and a lot of it so i think the hope is that we not only um you know, there's this thing about justice where, you know, justice must not only be done, but it must be seen to be done. Mm -hmm. I hope that we we take that approach when it comes to when it comes to youth development. And I was actually talking to one of our friends last night and there was a topic that it's there, it's known, but being reminded of it is really staggering. Mm -hmm. So as some of you may know, I will actually be broadcasting on Election Day Live via Love Television and Love FM. And I will be um, stationed at the Queen Square constituency. So looking at this now, we now see that Queen Square is a stalwart of the United Democratic Party for decades mm -hmm. on end. And now you have... Uh, Miss Denise Barrow stepping in on behalf of the of the Prime Minister to continue that lineage. Now, as a 24-year-old, and we're looking at this situation with crime, and we're noticing that mm -hmm. the hub of illicit activity and gang violence, or the more prominent gang entities, are in the Queen Square Division. What has, what has <laughs> the, <laughs> I mean, it, it's true, Dodd Street, Plough Street, the whole Crawl Road area, it's, it's incessantly yeah. concentrated in that area. What has Dean Barrow done over the years to try to mitigate that issue? I mean, when you have hundreds of young men, but thousands over the span of him being the air representative of that area go down into a mortuary book there have not been any proactive implementations to try to deter the staunch level of gang violence and just dubious activity and poverty in that area yeah i and I don't want to 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 tonight um, single out constituencies, but that's a that's a very very salient point, and I don't think there have been enough studies about um, garrison communities. I know there has been 
very much in very much of those studies in Jamaica. But yeah. I don't know that we have we have had the will, nerd, the courage <laughs> to yeah. to do studies on on gar garrison communities in Belize. Um, and garrison communities may look very different than it does in Jamaica. Um, but I think it still somewhat exists. And if you overlay those things of, you know, um, the, the pumping of funds into communities to have it do better than the pumping out of literal lifeblood of those communities, you find that the lifeblood has been pumped out of those communities more than the money has been. The, the, the money to develop people because um, mm -hmm. you know money flow, but that that what the money they get used for kind of yeah. thing. So I think that that's important to to just point out there. Um, and I wanted to just sort of to shift the conversation to a bit of the um, evaluating the last manifestos of these of these parties, but also and looking at what they achieved. So you know, did they take off some things, and also what they plan to do um, e economically. So the focus yeah. on that pan, pan, pan the youth on the UDP because they're the incumbent party. Mm -hmm. And if you look at elections, and I know the and I, I don't know election ways. I know the um I know the, well make say that. Let me change it and say <laughs> that I will not I am not calling the election. I, I, I but I am saying that the trend has been in the Caribbean. There has been just about ten elections in the Caribbean since the year started. The most recent being that of St. Vincent of the Grenadines, where their prime minister has okay. moved into his fifth term. And that's the people's choice. You know, fifth right. term, then they got to referendum and they said they don't want it. Prime ministers have no no fixed term. And so the man, um, Prime Minister um, Ralph, moved into his fifth term as prime minister of SVG. Now, I don't think that's supposed to happen. But the will of SVG, self-determination. Self-determination, yes? Uh, <laughs> but you know, as we look at you know the achievements of the of the of the UDP thus far, um, they've made promises in their last manifesto to develop a national housing policy. Um, I don't know that that happened. They yeah. they promised to, and you know, manifestos are really covenants. They're really promises between people and politicians. But um, if there aren't any repercussions for breaking them and Belizeans yeah. give that exactly they there will continuously just Yeah. Um they promised to develop an institute of science and technology and one of enterprise and innovation. I don't think that happened. Um I know that internet increased, you know, the penetration of internet definitely increased. We pay yeah. less for internet now, so that's a definite success. And I know that for a fact because I interviewed um, one of the persons from DJ, and we had an extensive conversation about just the penetration and how much has been invested. I think it was twenty million dollars over the last six years into or, or 20, between twenty and fifty million dollars has been invested in that. So that's definitely a success. Yeah. Um, the, the procurement of two helicopters to enhance the work of security forces and emergency personnel. We know that there was a there was a there was a tragic end to to some men this year um, and so we know that that has been an issue that we have had making sure that our security forces who are serving and protecting us are given the tools to do that what they need to do yeah um, so those are some of the things that the UDP kind of looked at construction of the Belize City Civic Center we see that um, we see that on the boulevard mm -hmm. um, the, pave, the pave the road to Caracol we see that had happened um, develop and implement a national transportation master plan to address the need for efficient and cost-effective movement of people and goods. So we know that that never happened, but we know that very recently and there was I a mutual banking system. A week or two weeks ago. Yes. That there was a, a mutual, I mean, crisis causes people to, to, to expedite things. Um, and maybe expedite the wrong word because they never expedited. Correct, <laughs> but um, that's something that had happened recently. So we know that there was some so some hit and miss um, based on the last twenty fifteen and what they're looking at doing now. So quite interestingly, in their manifesto, they separated the economic and financial sector. 
um, because the economic part never said much about the economy, but the financial sector said a lot about it. And mm -hmm. I found, I just found it like interesting that they would separate the two, right? Yeah. Um, what they said about the economy was, quote, strengthening the productive sector. We in the UDP firmly believe that the pillars of, for a strong Belizean economy are the components of the productive sector, um, agriculture, tourism, and services, a fair and functional taxation system, um, strong and good governance in the public sector, and a transportation system. So that's what they wanted to focus on in the economy. And then they jumped to the financial sector, where they said they remove um, the step that requires non-residents to obtain central bank approval for payment for purchase of real estate from Belize, remove central bank approval for foreigners to hold shares of a Belize company, um, I don't, I probably don't know enough to speak on this, but uh -huh. those two, and of course the financial sector had other points. I'm just jumping on particular ones. But removing these things, I don't know if I feel okay about that. Yeah. Only because of what happened with, um, with with some with some real estate issues that we we had right like who oversees yeah. those things I don't know if removing that is is um is a good thing I think it opens up the gate for a free for all and for a yeah. lot of room for lack of um guidance and yeah there's no check and balance yeah. less or less check and balance um. If you remove those things, right, it does seem it's, it seem a bit um, backward to me. But again, but that is an overfield. We And of course, if there is any economist in the in the live, yeah. feel, feel free, free to, to, to jump in and engage. Definitely, yeah. Um, and then looking at the BPP. So the BPP, I feel like I talk a lot. The BPP's manifesto is very reformist. So they look at well, a lot of like specific things to change. Um, I was noticing that too. I got that from it as well. Yeah, they look at a very like specific things. Like they talk about specific, like the like how you change the public accounts committee committee, how you look upon um the sugar industry marketing committee. Some of these things I didn't even know like existed. And my thing is how how accurate is it of them to make these claims and statements granted that they are potentially incoming parties and they have never had to deal with these sectors where are where are they getting their information and statistics from you know how accurate uh, is this i think they have had like involvement from other people you mm -hmm. know this political game is a very um stealthy one so i think they've 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 gotten their their information from probably rel relatively uh sort of strong sources but uh -huh. they they're just this this was a very wordy document so it's a hard to read document yeah. and i don't think very many people will read it it's quite interesting this year that a lot of polit like the political parties, all of them, and I haven't gotten the Belize People's Front um, manifesto because they, they don't seem to have published one. No. But um, it's funny that, you know, during this time, political parties seem to have increased on their documentation, right? Which is great, but also, like, who really will read that? Besides us. All, like, <laughs> except we. Right? Like, yeah. Who, who, who really were reading those things? The, the common young person or just the average young person will not take a Friday or Saturday night and say, Mother is mine. I want to read this manifesto, see what it happened. No. And that even, doesn't even young people, right? Like, we now have, and it's very sad to say, Belizeans, we now have a very like strong reading culture. So, on, like, if you don't like read, and especially if you don't like read, they are kind of wordy yeah. and very, like, technical knowledge documents. You, you just not do that. Um, so that 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 that, that may have very like, hmm, this is this is interesting that you would get more wordy in a time and in a in a time in the world where yeah. like, people just want quick information, right? Um, 
and it's a it's a delicate balance between that that quick self gratification and actually getting the information you need. So I yeah. hope I do hope that you know these things are not just written on these papers, but that um, they actually commit commit to it and commit to the language that they written they written because I don't know how much they consult with people before they write these things, which is another thing, right? Exactly. Um, that's the way they probably think we need, but um. Manifestos on a whole this year, and then switch the conversation to voting. Just a little bit. Please allow me. Leave it. Bye. Um, one of the things I think we have to think about as we move to a to a to an election in a in a like about eight hours or so is that there's a pandemic, and a pandemic that is brutalizing us in Belize. There has been recent flooding which has destroyed probably the only assets that people have left, their house and their property. Thank God that we don't lose, we don't record no loss of life. Give thanks yeah. for that. But the last thing I want to do, what day when I just, the sun just started to shine back and it just stopped raining and, you know, I list that is, is take up my time to go to a polling station. And I really want people to take the time and make the sacrifice. Yeah, but, but realistically, especially for people who are still feeling the effect in Cayo and the Belize River Valley area where flooding has just since, you know, started to pick up back because mm -hmm. it isn't over, you know? Yeah. So they really have to give people a, like, what am I voting for? Is what politicians need to answer for people because that was immense sacrifice. And especially if you live in a rural area, oh my goodness, it is so hard to get to your polling station because they are so far away from where you live because of just the way the, the landscape is set up. But um, I will say this, we all know that they're going for you. But when it's time to give you the basic necessities that you need in order to survive on a daily basis when election done, can't find no Another one of the things I said, pa, pa, you voice the you voice matters and pick up to you voice matters is one of the things I say is that if you can't contact me, no, like no call me get because I don't want to talk to you then either. Mm -hmm. Because you know it's it's a very one sided thing when you feel like you could just you want control the narrative at all times. This and all that. That me they elect you, that me they hire you. This and all that, right? Um, and I think the more and more people just become more conscious of their their civic responsibilities civic rights and their power as a people i think that culture will start to change your politicians i feel like oh me i contact you and me ready for that exactly to you. and the minute the minute we stop giving them leeway for that they will tighten up and realize that men mm -hmm. we need to try change this toxic behavior of only wanting to deal with you when it's time to gain yeah, something to benefit that, that real Man, I may get inappropriate just now. That that, <laughs> that that is a real abusive relationship. I mean, I not mm. I rate that right. Um, but coming back to the manifesto before we lose ourselves, yeah. no. Oh, what I what I did want to mention um while, while we're coming back to the manifestos um, and I I do note that this is a reoccurring promise from the People's United Party. Good okay. old land. <laughs> Good old land. <laughs> Land. So, land. Yeah. So the People's United Party have um, promised, gave us an ode that mm -hmm. once they become the elected officials at the age of 18, each individual will be given a plot of land. I have questions. First of all, we have such a dense urban and rural, well, we say urban because when you talk about rural areas, these are the communities and the families who may more than likely own the land by family lineage and then it just mm -hmm. goes down. But when you look at the urban areas and the cities where rent is the generational lifestyle and owning a piece of land is so far-fetched a thought yeah. how is it 
that you will accommodate all of these people and ensure that it is done in a fair and justifiable manner without going down to a remote village in the Punta Gora area and grabbing the land from the indigenous groups and giving to these people who are you're you are promising it to within your constituents. Yeah. So that that the my main oh. thing. Yeah. How, where you land from, friend? How? Land, land, okay. So land our, land our finite resource. Um, and that's something we have to be able to have a certain level of security about it. Just like because without land, we basically can't do nothing. Um, we can't grow food. We can't. We don't have collateral. We know without land, we can't do much. Uh -huh. Um, both political parties, both major political parties, and I think even the progressive, the Belize Progressive Party, um, has pledged to make land um, something that is more attainable, make the process yeah. at the land department less laborious. Um, they have pledged to do these type of things. The PUP has said that, um, and that's something I want to highlight as a as a certified tree hugger, a lover of the environment. And someone with indigenous heritage who um and if you look at just the areas of belize that is most preserved um you have to credit the indigenous peoples for just the stewardship of environment of the environment no um people made a very very pointed statement and again as a writer i love the language of it yeah they protect land with high intrinsic value lands that provide watershed protection important botanic and wildlife habitat Tremendous biodiversity and cultural significance. Um, that's what they pledge to do. Strategically access green climate change funds via partnerships in institutions like Five Cs, the Caribbean Community Climate Change Center, to secure millions to address our social and environmental needs, reduce vulnerability to climate change and other risk. Now, yeah. put that in the context of what are we then now with this flooding? It's very important that people understand that climate change they are um there is no way to avoid it at this point we're a small island developing state that's what we're classified as where we not urban contribute planning. urban we planning to become yes. and respected yes especially in belize city where belize city are mostly water you know i don't think people realize that mm -hmm. the economic center of your country are mostly water you can ask any urban planner about that which is why the capital was moved. Yeah. So, but Belize City is still very much a political and economic center because of just how the constitu constituencies are set. Constituencies, sorry, mm -hmm. are set up. So you have to be able to to think about these things rationally. Um, and even as our own like collective memory, when we think about Hurricane Hattie as a people, that just like men, like when the rain may happen, when you know they have that that october 31st hurricane i don't remember if that's a hattie or if that i mean the unnamed hurricane but there's a you know everybody reference back the hurricane uh -huh. because it's so much in our consciousness as a belizean people i think that's something that is shared by us and we have to be able to connect those with the things that they happen now this climate change thing real 10 feet of water in a sinasio who would imagine 10 feet of water in a sinasio with and glory go to place to shelter from a hurricane exactly. any type of rainfall so that exactly. was cracking all on its own and exactly to say the least yes so we have to be able to think about not only giving people land but but yeah give people land with flood every every time of rain yeah give people land where could that be used better for food yeah give people land where um where will lose its value because it becomes residential land mm -hmm. they're not just both they're not just what give everybody land important yeah. me want me land too you know me want me land but like make it make sense you can't you have to you have to make it make sense you can't just say this show this show you have to make it make sense and that's what i other than the language of this this land um policy from the from the people's united party I love that it's thinking progressively about preserving land and make sure making sure that indigenous peoples have access to their land, yeah. but also making sure that we get the full value out of the beautiful land that we have. This is something yeah. that Caribbean people and like that islanders in the Caribbean envy because uh -huh. they don't have they don't have this amount of resources that we have and we have to be able to start to maximize on that.
the minute they make it into a free for all without any form of regulation or statutory body, in our work, it will be very dismal. In our work, now shifting topics from land, we could cover health. Okay, so health, we know pandemic health is of. I mean, health has been on our minds and hearts since the coronavirus has has came, come into our life and overstayed her welcome. Yeah, and her um, welcome. <laughs> I like that. Like that, extra okay, I get rid of right? But <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, health. What the United Democratic Party has pledged to do in terms of in terms of health. Let me just get my documents here. Um, pledge to increase NHI, um, build hospitals in other constituents, in other areas of beliefs, not constituencies. Um, Which is really good because apart from the KHMHL, we have the Northern Regional. And yeah, you don't have very many public spaces. Right. So that that is yeah. definitely a welcomed addition to their manifesto that i hope they mm. deliver on if elected and again okay so i have the specific thing here so mm -hmm. build new hospitals in san pedro and Gorda, um two new polyclinics in orange walk complete the new polyclinic in Belmopan, build two new polyclinics in santa elena and san ignacio expand nhi services to orange walk and cayo adding another 75,000 beneficiaries no we can do a reality check on this point. But before yeah. I do a reality check, we can go to what PUP is about health. Hold on. So we know so we so we so we know what they say. They want to increase they want to increase the health budget from three point five um to five percent of the GDP. Then we'll have our health and wellness minister, um well our wellness minister, and they wanna roll out NHI to the entire country to co to cover the four hundred thousand 